welcome back. Welcome back to another rep podcast. I feel like we have the power of God and anime on our side. On our side. <laughs> if you can have the power of any anime, what anime would it be? Ooh. Are you a big anime fan? Like, do you watch it? I'm at all? like, so I'm starting to get into it. Um, Giorgio, uh, you remember Giorgio? Mm-hmm. He told me to watch Attack on Titan. And, like, I'm not a huge anime fan. I, I grew up watching Dragon Ball Z and. Uh, That's anime? Yeah. But that, that was, like, one of the only ones that I followed uh, other than, aside from uh, Helsing. I love Helsing. Um, but I didn't go, I wasn't, like, part of the anime craze. Um, I find myself watching it's not a crazy more, it's a lifestyle sorry lifestyle uh, rude I, I find myself watching more anime now than I did before um, and so I started Attack on Titan I think Saturday and season one has about 22 24 episodes I'm already on episode 19 yeah. so Attack on Titan's a cool one I'm pretty hooked I really like it I, I'm almost done with season four so I, I was told it's um, very Game of Thrones like in the sense that no character is safe and the story is epic and there's always character building. Yes. I was very well surprised <laughs> for four episodes in on how accurate no character safe actually was. Oh, and that, that permeates through. Oh yeah. The entire time. So, so now like for the most part. So now when something happens to a character, I'm like, at first I'm like, what? But then I'm like, <laughs> makes sense. And then I move on. Like yeah. there, there's you're only in season one so i have to be careful i'm not gonna i'm not gonna tell you i'm not gonna please don't spoil anything (laughs) but there are like just like game of thrones that's very evident pretty early on when you're like oh this this these are the main characters like Mm -hmm. this is where the story is going to be revolving around yeah or who this is going to be revolving around um so you kind of you'll eventually realize who's going to stick yeah other than that it's a it's a large hit and miss. I'm really hoping the uh, the um, the the romantic side of Aaron and Mikasa's uh, relationship evolves. Uh, don't ruin it for me. I don't know. I don't. I don't. I don't want to know yet. I maybe someone dies. I don't know. But like, there there's where I'm at now. It's just like I've fallen in love with the story of the two, and I hope it blossoms. But I'm also won't be surprised if somebody gets splatted like a bug mm-hmm. in season two. So yeah. Uh yeah, I can't say anything. <laughs> <laughs> if if you're not a big anime fan, but you do like stuff like Game of Thrones, uh, I I, I recommend giving uh, Attack on Titan. A- the, though the for the fair warning about Attack on Titan is it's very gory. It's very for anime. It's gory. Yeah. Um. Yeah. Well, I think even for like even for kind of like the lay person who doesn't like watch a lot of anime or gore or gore, <laughs> but it's definitely um. I just got a message from Marissa that just goes, there's a raccoon in my mom's bedroom. Yes. bathroom. Yes. <laughs> cool. The Woody show would call that raccoon news. Raccoon news. <laughs> Jesus. Uh, but it, Attack on Titan is effectively like dystopian future. Cities have been like relegated to these like giant walled off like civilizations. Yeah. Because on the outsides of the wall are Titans, which are giant humanoids. Hum- humanoid-esque beans that eat people i have so many questions about that too and i i've been told that it develops as to 
who they are, what they are. Yeah, you'll ev- you'll eventually learn like where the Titans come from. Yeah. Um and that's all I'm going to say on that. I already have so many questions about Aaron. Well, I for those listening who haven't watched, I don't want to spoil the first season either, but like Aaron's character, I'm I when it becomes clear what happens, I was blown away and I I'm like I mean, it's going to build obviously because they keep talking about it, but like I'm stuck in the point where I'm like can we hurry up and get to that? Because I want to know more about that. Yeah. All all will be told in time. In good time. It's fun. Uh, yeah. I, someone someone was asking me um, about like anime because yeah. they they overheard me talking to one of my clients about it because we uh, we do like weekly recaps because she'll she watches anime. Yeah. And she's like, "What are you watching now?" <laughs> yeah. Again, she just started watching Attack on Titan. Um, and they're always like, uh, someone at the gym was like, well, what's like, what's the difference between like anime and cartoons? I was yeah. like, they're the same thing. Yeah. I'm like, it's just Japanese cartoons. Yeah. I'm like, oh. they're usually adopted from manga, which oh. is just a comic book. <laughs> also, like, I, I, I don't know. I, I, so I started watching it in English. I know there is the original audio version with English subtitles. Um, I think it's just easier for me to follow in English. Mm-hmm. I may pick up the next anime with original audio and then english subtitles because that's how i like watching dragon ball z now uh, was with the japanese and the english hard, subtitles hard pass hard pass yeah <laughs> uh, well i like because it's similar similar to what you're saying like i grew i grew up watching watching it on like com or cartoon, cartoon network, network yeah um on like the toonami and so that i'm just i'm used to those voices yeah and so like the jap like the japanese voices are so different that it's like it's hard to pay attention to <laughs> um <laughs> Like, but you can, there's certain ones you can totally do it for. Yeah. Like, like Dragon Ball Z is one you could easily watch, like li- watch in Japan, like Japanese dub, yeah. um, with like English subtitles because like visually there's not a whole lot going on. Right. Attack on Titan, on the other hand, there's a there's lot going so on. so much story. And it's, yes. And it's kind of like hard to like read and I found it was hard to read and watch. Agreed. Um, and be able to like take in both. It's either, I was kind of either paying attention to what like what was being shown or i was paying attention to like the what they were saying what they were saying in the storyline yeah. behind it so i was i just relegated myself to watching it on a watching it in english that makes sense i maybe you know i'll give my next anime a, a shot and see what i think like because i have the same problem too like i'd rather watch than read yeah so yeah um speaking of reading yeah i read good we're gonna talk about reading specifically the rain, reading rainbow the reading rainbow reading rainbow. way up in the sky <laughs> <laughs> um we were talking about reading uh studies yeah so as some may have heard there was recently a study that came out that was talking about um physical activity and its association with COVID 19 um and so the, at least for me, uh, it's like through like social media and stuff, I've been seeing, uh, a bunch of the fitness people, gyms, whatever, just qu- like quote the study in certain aspects being like, this is why gyms needed to be open, mm-hmm. the blah, 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 blah. Um, and so I was like, okay, well, this would be a good point, like a good time to talk about like how to read a study. So I have, I have pulled it, pulled an article from one of my favorite websites examine.com uh, uh not not sponsored <laughs> and uh not yet not yet and then uh 
figured that we can kind of learn a little bit about like how studies are written and read and kind of give some context into like what some of these things mean yeah and then kind of go through and we could talk about the actual this covid study and maybe apply a little bit of what we learned yeah as well as just i think it's good to just kind of go over go over the study because it is it's it was informative it was very (laughs) i i feel like the information that i picked up from it was crucial to the health of those who were in need last year yeah like if this information would have been i guess better publicized things may have been different last year yeah the the tldr uh is extra uh the more active you were um the less likely you were to have severe if you were to contract uh, less severe symptoms if you were to contract covid mm-hmm. um so in case you're curious if you want to just get the meat and potatoes out of the way that's what it is yeah that's what the article <laughs> is about sorry uh so there you go but we're dragging it out yeah but we'll, we'll go a little bit further i wanted i would do want to le- read a little bit into it because i think it is pretty yeah pretty cool um i think i think a bunch of reasons but i like how we're gonna do it because you know not i mean including myself i didn't know how to read the study i was just trying to break the information down myself and i think a lot of people who are going to listen are going to appreciate that hey like this is how you should read the study this is what some of these terminology mean and then they can follow along with that i'm thinking we'll probably provide the link to that article anyway or that study. yeah absolutely um so they could follow along while they're reading this or just have it up on a screen somewhere and yeah you know, yeah totally um, so yeah, so like I said, so the article that I got is from, or the article that I got is about, it's called how to read a study, uh, which is from examine.com, which I'll I definitely include a link on that because I think it is, you know, I've, I've cited studies before, um, and made comments about it. And I remember one of the main comments that I've got, I've gotten in kind of response to whenever I've posted studies is, um, that they're hard to read my ignorance at the time was kind of along the lines of like, well, they're not that hard to read, but also I studied science. And so I've, I've, <laughs> I'm relatively familiar with, uh, with like how to write research papers or yeah. like research articles and how to, how to present the information that you get. Um, now I'm no, I'm not an expert, so don't quote me on that one, but the, like I'm, I'm more familiar, I think than most. Yeah. And so I was kind of my, my hubris, was like, what are you talking about? It's not that hard. This is easy. But in reality, it can be. And so there's there's tricky language and statistics that can often be misguided. Yeah. Um, or misguide people, I should say. So anyway, uh, let's go ahead and let's uh, just run through. I'll just kind of read through this whole thing. And then stop me at any point where you're just like, if you have something you want to chat about. <laughs> yeah. You'll get a little buzzer. Mm-hmm. Um, so pretty much the... So most, most research papers are broken up into a couple different you know, more or less kind of a bunch of different subsections. Um, so you're going to usually look at like the abstract, the introduction methods, results, discussion, and then you should see something that is a conflict of interest. Uh, you don't, and I will, we'll get into it, but you don't normally see a lot of like conflict of interest stuff, um, which I think is wildly important. Mm -hmm. Um, especially because there are a lot of things that come out where you don't know effectively where the money comes from that funds the study. Right. And oftentimes, you know, one of the big things that you used to see back in the day um, was, for example, uh, you know, in the, like the 40s and the 50s, smoking was good for you. Well, when you look into like who were the people that wrote that, like wrote these articles and these, like these studies, the money came from tobacco. 
And so it was in the favor of the tobacco companies to find people who are going to present information to want people to smoke more. Yeah. Um, similar thing happened with like sugar. I was going to say the most recent one would be the Coca-Cola backed articles and yeah. sugar. Yep. Even, even worse. Um, there was a lot of stuff. Um, there was a big controversy that kind of, I don't know if it actually got a whole lot of attention. Um, but it was, you eventually learned there was an article that was coming out about statins. Mm. Um, it's like blood, like, um, like statins. So like blood pressure as well mm. as, um, uh, lipid profile and like, uh, cholesterol, cholesterol medicine and the 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 it was study study cited by the american heart association um but what you wasn't readily available unless you did a little bit further digging was to find that the company that was producing this statin just showed these amazing results of like of the of you know medical engineering um the maker of that drug was also a large sponsor of the american heart association so there's a huge conflict of interest of a of a medical community given lots of money by a drug company that then was also publishing data to push the drug company. Yeah. Uh, so that there's, that's was a huge issue. Um, and then also you don't know where this, but you don't know who the corporate sponsors are of the American heart association anymore because they took it off the website mm-hmm. at that point. <laughs> they hiding shit. Yeah. So, you know, don't let, uh, I, I will say with this, with like some context to it is like, Yes, that is a thing that exists in the world, and you got to be aware of it. Um, but don't put your tinfoil hats on yet, <laughs> and start thinking that every single like thing that comes out is based or is going to be like funded by money or hidden by, funded by some like massive corporation. That's Corporate like, America. Yeah, right. I was talking to one of my cli- <laughs> I was talking to one of my clients today because we were we, we were talking because she asked what we we're going to talk about tonight, yeah. and I was like, you know, this is we're going to talk about COVID and this COVID study as well as like how to read research papers. And, uh, and so we were kind of talking about like, you know, thoughts about like COVID and like health and exercise. And, uh, and I was like, yeah, I'm like the downfall. I'm like, one of the downfalls is like, I'm like, people will kind of loosely read stuff and then just immediately assume that like big pharma or like there's some secret government conspiracy into all of these things. (laughs) Um, and I was like, so I'm like, don't put your tinfoil hat on yet. So I've said that <laughs> phrase twice today. So there you go. Anyway. Um, okay. So let's break these things down a little bit. Do it. So starting off with the abstract. So the abstract is usually a, it's a brief summary that covers kind of the main points of a study. So usually if you look something up through like the, um, any research articles or like Google scholar, for example, is a great place to go to like find research. Um, the first thing that you're usually going to read is the abstract. So there's a lot of information that needs to like that is packed into a few paragraphs in that initial spot, um, and so that's that's you, you can use that as kind of a reference point, but they can unintentionally be misleading um, purely because you don't get all of the details, right? So it's a snapshot of a, usually a huge paper. Um, so because it doesn't usually provide context, an abstract does not usually offer or make clear the limitations of an experiment or how applicable the results are in the real world. So like before, and this, you know, this is kind of, again, synonymous with what's a lot, a lot of what we see right now through like Facebook is just like reading art, reading headlines and just running with it and not even finding going any deeper. So before, before citing a study as any evidence and like in discussion, please make sure that you read the whole paper, uh, because it might turn out that the evidence is super weak. (laughs) Um, and so to put some, put some like context, even more so behind that, uh, you know, we did an episode talking about supplements and I used 
examine as kind of my reference guide for mm. a lot of the information that we got. And so one of the things that's really crazy is like, if you were to read an abstract again, it's kind of giving you a synopsis of like the entirety of the paper, but it could also then it, it can cite stats and it can give you numbers and whatever the case may be, but context is key here. And so a lot of, a lot of like supplement companies, like, you know, if you ever go to like GNC, look at a protein powder, look at like, Oh, gives, you know, 45% increase in muscle mass. And you're like, wow, that's pretty amazing. And then if you actually go and further and trying to find that study or the research that they did, you find it's like with four people. Yeah. <laughs> and that means nothing. Yeah. Like that statistically, that means absolutely nothing. Um, that's a 0.1% increase. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's, and, and then the other part is like, what, it, what is a baseline? And I'm not going to get into all of that part yeah. because there is, um, there is tricky stats that you can use to make your point that sound way better than they really are. And if you go back to some of the statin studies, that's exactly what you normally see. Um, so you feel like, a, you know, you can see like 70% decrease in, like 70% decrease in like uh, like HDL levels or something like that. But in reality, and as you dive, dive a little bit deeper into it, like it dropped it like maybe realistically like one or two points, mm -hmm. which means absolutely nothing. Yeah. Um, you get a result that it dropped, but it's not, it wouldn't be enough to be a satisfactory across the board. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So there, there's a way to, there's a way to f mess with numbers to make them sound way better, but also you're not lying, but it's intentionally misleading. Yeah. So, so after the abstract, then it'll actually get into the paper itself. And so you'll see the introduction. So the introduction is literally what it is. It's the uh, the introduction sets up the stage. Um, it should, it, ideally, it should clearly identify the research question the authors hope to answer. Um, here, the author, authors usually summarize previous related research and explain why they decided to investigate further. So, for example, the non-caloric sweetener stevia showed promise as a way to help improve blood sugar control, particularly in diabetics. So researchers set out to conduct larger, more rigorous trials to determine if stevia could be an effective treatment for diabetes. Introductions are often a great place to find additional reading material since the authors will frequently reference previous relevant and published studies. I think going through intro, like the introductions of papers is, is a really good thing because like it, like I just said, it sets the stage for what is to be expected. And a big thing about published research articles is with, with the intention, or should be the intention that somebody can replicate this entire thing. And if you can, uh, another scientist is kind of the ideal, but you should, as a like a lay person in the sense of a non-scientist, you should be able to read through that and get a gist, a fairly good gist of like what the hell this thing is about and kind of what they're trying to do. Um, so if you can't do that, then we can probably start to assume that either uh, it's probably not a great paper mm. um, or that it you know could be a little bit misleading, but who knows? <laughs> yeah, it's rough. Um, all right, so usually next up on the block is methods. So the methods or uh, materials and methods section provides information on the study's design and its participants. Ideally, it should be so clear and detailed that other researchers can repeat the study without needing to contact the authors. Look at you. I know, right? <laughs> um, you'll need to examine this section to determine the study's strengths and limitations, um, which both affect how the study's results should be interpreted. A method section will contain a few key pieces of information that you should pay attention to. So we'll look at demographics. So this is information on the participants, such as age, sex, lifestyle, health status, and method of recruitment. Uh, the information will help decide how relevant the study is to you, your loved ones, and your clients. 
Uh, so confounders. So the demographic, the demographic information will usually mention if people were excluded from the study, uh, and if so, for what reasons. Most often, the reason is the existence of a confounder, or it's which is a variable that would confound the results. I.e., it would it would really mess them up. <laughs> <laughs> so that's so a confounder is usually like a. Um, like an outlier to a situation within the group where they're like, okay, this will like heavily skew the results. So you're trying to get like a similar, 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 similar population um, to kind of keep uh, as many variables consistent as possible. Again, because their goal is to try and make it repeatable. Yeah. So after that, you'll see usually design. So the design variants include single blind trials in which only the participants don't know if they're receiving a placebo, observational studies. Uh, this is where researchers only observe a demographic and take measurements. Um, this is this is where you will learn about the length of the study, interventions, and the interventions used. So that can be like supplements, exercise routines, et cetera, and the testing methods and so on. So essentially the design is just outline, like here are the steps to how we got, you know, who are the people like, yeah. Um, so we already got our people. So it's the steps of like, how did we test it? So you'll, you'll hear about like single blind, double blind, um, placebo. So to give it, to get an idea, like a double blind placebo study is kind of like the best of the best in that sense. sense. And so a double blind means that one of the first blind is that the, the participants in the study don't know what they're getting. So for example, it could be like, here's a drug for statins i guess we're gonna keep going with statins yeah we go statin so it's like here's this here's a statin um you know that that's what's going to be have what's going to be the the basis of the study but you the participant does not know if which one you get yeah so either you get a sugar pill or you get an actual statin then the double the second blind which makes the double blind is then the researchers themselves don't know so i don't know which one you got either other than i know that you got something yeah and so that's part part partially why or part that jesus part of the reason why you want stuff like that is because there is a chance there's always a chance for bias or human error to be involved um, when you know kind of the results especially as you're starting to look at results and you know who got what and when and where so it's definitely like uh, the more that you can kind of limit any external variables of people kind of muddying the waters the better um and but I know we talked about this before, like when you we were talked about, like, I think we, when we were in recovery in our recovery episode, we were referencing like ice. Yeah. Ice is one of those ones where like, you can't, you can't do a placebo study because you can't fake cold <laughs> necessarily. Right. Right. So there's, there's certain, the, based on the tests that you're going to be getting, there's also going to be limitations in what can be tested. So, you know, a, and, and this, and this is like a, you know, an important part also to know of like how, like what was the design of the study? Um, cause what you're going to find out, for example, for this, um, you know, spoilers, but for the, this COVID study, um, it was all observational. So you are now with that is in the sense that they're not designing anything that any of these partic the participants in the study, like interacted with, they literally gave them a, they gave them a questionnaire. And so that in its own has kind of its own inherent flaws to it because there's always the chance that people lie. Right. Um, so there's, there's issues with it that kind of exist now. That's not to necessarily denounce it as something that's not trustworthy. Um, but it is something to make note of, of these numbers may be slightly skewed purely because you have to kind of trust in the goodwill of the people giving you, you know, giving, giving you answers. Yeah. Human response. Yeah. Human response. 
right? We've all lied on that thing of, you know, we've all lied. It's like, how tall are you? I'm like, yeah, definitely, you know, 5'10". Oh, yeah, I'm 5'11 five, five, and a half. Yeah, <laughs> on, on a, a good day. day. Jinx! <laughs> um, so, usually after, so usually after that, you'll see uh, like endpoints. So the methods section can also make clear the endpoints the research will be looking at. Uh, for instance, the study on the effects of resistance training program could use muscle mass as its primary endpoint. It's the main criteria to judge the outcome of the study and fat mass, strength performance, testosterone levels as is like a secondary endpoint. So all endpoint is, is like, what is it that they are trying to look at as like the result of the study? So for example, for this, uh, for this COVID one, we're looking at what we're going to be looking at is what is the rate at which, um, for people who exercise, who had no like essentially no exercise, yeah. uh, some exercise, and then met kind of the standard of exercise that they were looking for, and then compared that with um, with each of those groups um, who contract who contra- who all contracted COVID, the severity of of it. So did they were they hospitalized? Were they in the ICU? Or did they you know did they die? Mm-hmm. So the morbidity is the term that I'll be using for that. Um, and then we'll look at statistics. So uh, finally, the method section usually concludes with a, a hearty statistic discussion, and this is usually where things get very confusing. So this is determining whether an appropriate statistical analysis was used for a given trial is an entire field of study. Uh, so definitely suggest you don't sweat the details and try to focus on the bigger picture. So speaking of the statistics, <laughs> um, yeah, statisticians are crazy. Um and it's stats are, are very funky, um, again, because they can be worked and worded in so many different ways. And the ways that you can even get them are kind of insane. Yeah. Um, and how you do measure all these like variables and all this stuff. So if you've never taken a stats class, you know, don't stress too much about this section because it can be very confusing as you try and like read through it. Um, I mean, I took stats and I still have a hard time. Um, I failed stats twice before I had to take um stats for a liberal arts major <laughs> and then i got a c minus <laughs> so i fucking hate stats yeah yeah it was not, it's it was not a, f- a fun one for me i really did not enjoy it um okay so first uh let's go up two common misunderstandings uh you may have read that an effect had was significant only to later discover that it was very small. Yeah. Similarly, you may have read that no effect was found, yet when you read the paper, you found that the inter- the intervention group, which is the one that actually got the drug, for example, um, had lost more weight than the placebo group. Placebo group. So what gives? Uh, the problem is simple. Those quirky scientists don't speak like normal people, <laughs> which is true. Um, so, and this is important to note, right? So for scientists, significant doesn't mean important. Yeah. Uh, it means statistically significant. So an effect is significant if the data that's collected over the course of the trial would be unlikely if there were, if there were really was no effect. So something that is, yeah, so that, that's pretty much that. So therefore an effect can be significant yet very small. So for example, half a pound of weight loss over a year, for instance, um, but more to the point, an effect can be significant yet not clinically relevant, meaning that it has no discernible effect on your health. Confused yet? <laughs> very, very. <laughs> so it, all that, all that's kind of say, uh, well, let me read on and then I'll kind of go for it. So relatedly for scientists, uh, no effect usually means no statistical significant effect. So that's why you may review the measurements collected over the course of a trial and notice an increase or decrease yet read in the conclusion that no change or no effect was found. Um, there were changes, but they weren't significant. 
In other words, there were changes, but no, but they were so small that they may be due to random fluctuations. So they may also be due to an actual effect. We don't know for sure. Yeah. So like, it like that half a pound example is like it's not significant. Exactly. And, and something else could have affected that. Yep. Right. So usually, usually you can look into some of these studies with, when we're talking about like s- statistical significance. Is again, it's it's kind of also when we look at like six statistical significance, is also measuring kind of the the strength of the study and knowing that if something is statistically relevant within the the course of the study, we know that there's a fairly strong um, reason to believe that it wasn't like an outlier, that it wasn't that one person who slipped in from the, you know, the, the, the testing pool that was like the random person who was like way off to the, uh, way off the charts on yeah. for some whatever reason. So the next part, and so this is still within kind of statistics is, or the stats is we're going to look at P values. Um, which is usually the uh, a wildly tricky thing, and most people don't pay attention to, <laughs> unless you unless you've done stats. Um, so understanding how to interpret p values correctly can can be very tricky, um, even for people who you know, are statisticians. Um, but there's an easy way to kind of think about it. Um, so the way that this article is using it is think of it as like a coin toss. So you're to flip a hundred coins, and you'll get roughly a fifty fifty split of heads and tails. That's not surprising. Um, but what if you flip the same coin a hundred times and you get heads every single time that would be surprising. <laughs> so you can think of P values in terms of getting all heads when flipping a coin. So you'll usually see like percentages of P values. And sometimes you'll see decimal points of P values, which are the exact same thing. It's just written out. So like 5% is technically 0.05. So this is no more of a surprise than getting all, all heads on four coin flips. Um, of five, so then you can see 0.5%, which would be 0.005. So this would be more, this, this is no more surprising than being able to get all heads on eight coins. Or, and then for example, a 0.05%, which would be 0.0005 would be like getting heads on 11 coin tosses. So a, uh, a result is said to be statistically significant if the value is under the threshold of significance, which is generally 0.05 or 5%. Mm. So the other thing that sometimes you will see within within these is whoops clicked to the wrong page <laughs> um, is also something called a uh, confidence interval, and so a confidence interval provides information about a range in which the true value lies within a certain degree of probability, um, as well as it also helps to explain the direction and strength of the demonstrated effect or you know the results. So in the in this article, you don't get a p-value. You actually will see the a CI or confidence interval. And so you can kind of think of these things as relatively related in the same sense. So if we're looking at something like a p-value of say five percent, um, then we would like then you can also start to assume that you would see like a uh, confidence confidence interval of like ninety-five percent. So it's kind of where that little five percent lies it kind of makes up for the hundred. Um, so just a rough way to kind of think about it, but nonetheless. So, but in this article, you'll, you'll be seeing more of like the confidence interval. So after that, usually after we get into like all the stats and information, we start to look at results. And so, so this is essentially the conclusion where the research, researchers will discuss their primary outcome or what they were more most interested in investigating in a section commonly called results or results in discussion. So one thing though is skipping right to this section after reading the abstract might be tempting, uh, but this usually <laughs> leads to misinterpretations and then following the spread of misinformation. 
So never read the results without first reading like the method section. Um, so you, because you need to know how researchers arrived to the conclusion as it's important as the conclusion itself. Um, so one of the first things to look at in the results section is a comparison of characteristics between the tested groups. Big differences in baseline characteristics after randomization may mean the two groups are not truly comparable. Uh, these differences could be a result of the cha uh, chance or of the randomization method being applied incorrectly. So all that's all that is essentially saying is that you want to. So usually when you're looking at research groups um, or when you're testing with people, for say, um, there's a there's a randomization process. Um, and there's a, there's a lot of different ways that you can kind of go about randomizing the people to essentially dictate which group they're in. So if you're like confused by what I'm saying about that, if you've ever, like, if you go back to high school or grade school or something, and you're, you're trying to figure out who's going to be on the baseball team or the softball team for gym, and you're going like a B, a B or one, two, one, two, that's kind of like the randomization process. Now there's more, there's other ways to do it better. Um, especially when you're testing across large groups, when you start looking at demographics such as like age, sex, race, um, you know, age, I already said age, but you know, that, that type of thing. Um, so there's ways to randomize them appropriately so that way it doesn't uh, mess with the results. Again, or biases. Um, so then, uh, blah, blah, blah. so that's kind of what that means. Um, oftentimes then you'll see researchers have to, uh, usually will report dropout or compliance rates um, so life frequently gets in the way of science. And so almost every trial has its share of participants that don't finish the trial or failed, failed to follow the instructions appropriately. Um, this is especially true for trials that are long or constraining diet trials, for instance, are super hard. Um, and that's part of part of, and I think we even talked about this before of one of the hard parts about doing food or nutrition related, related, um, studies is most people don't stick to it. Yeah. Um, or they do something outside of what the parameters of the tests are and it messes with the results. So you got to sneak in a cheeseburger, man. <laughs> it's hard. I, I mean, it's, it's hard. And, th and this is like, you know, this, this is one of those things that really, well, it's one of the things that really gets to me when, when people start kind of questioning science, I guess, and, st and questioning studies. Yeah. And again, I know, I know that 100% of them are not perfect. Like that's, that's an impossibility to assume. And there's going to be shit studies that come out and there's going to be bias studies that come out hundred um, percent. But you, you kind of have to, you have to trust in the process and the fact that like, and I think part of the fact is like the, you know, for, for us to kind of go through and talk about this, it just kind of shows a little bit of the importance of the scientific method and when applied appropriately, will get get you to where you want to be and trying to discover discover what the hell you're you know somebody's trying to research and you know and i like I, this whole thing is like really just just skirting the surface of like what goes into the actual design of a study and how to go about doing it in such a way so that way you you can account for biases you can account for people to oh god <laughs> people who are going to drop out you can account for like everything um and then how to do the math and like what's good what's good ways to do the math and what's bad ways to do it like there, there's so much to the design of these things that like it's frustrating to hear people just immediately write this stuff off yeah um we we, we have to we you can be critical of it but you have to be critical to a point where you can also trust and i'm my biggest fear through how the world has been going right now is that we're losing trust within the scientific community. And uh, that's a recipe for disaster, in my opinion. 
So don't do that. Yeah. <laughs> you got to believe. Trust the process. Yeah, you have to trust the process. In most things. Yeah. Seriously. Um. All right. So anyway. So uh researcher yeah so researchers also have to report did i just read this trailer field below the instructions this is especially yeah all right i read read that that one whoops um so still too great a proportion of dropouts or non-compliant uh participants should raise an eyebrow especially if one group has a much higher dropout rate rate than the others so scientists use questionnaires blood panels and other methods of gathering data all of which can be displayed throughout charts and graphs which you usually see um, so be sure to check out the vertical axis, which is the Y axis, um, the scale, the results are represented on, uh, that what, well, what may at first look like a large change could in fact be very minor. So you gotta look at the values that are on that scale. Um, sometimes they go by decimal places <laughs> <laughs> and not like tens. Yeah. So the results section can also include a secondary analysis, such as a subgroup analysis. So a subgroup analysis is when the researchers run another statistic, statistic, uh, statistical test, but only on a subset of the participants. So for example, um, if your trial includes both males and females of all ages, you could perform your analysis only on the female data or only only one over the 60 over 65 data um, to see if you get a different result. So it's just a way to kind of break down the overall results um, in a little bit of a different way, just kind of for like more random information or not random information, more information. Um, then we'll usually end, uh, so we got usually two more things that we'll kind of end on. So we got the discussion. Um, sometimes the conclusion is split between results and discussion. Sometimes they're kind of connected. Um, but in the discussion section, the author, authors usually, uh, elaborate more on the value of their work. They also clarify their interpretation of the results or the hypotheses, um, or, or hypothesize a mechanism of action, i.e. biochemistry underlying the effect. Um, often they will compare the study to previous ones and suggest new experiments that could be conducted based on their study's results. It is very, very important to remember that a single study is just one piece of, of a giant puzzle. So where does this one fit in with the body of evidence on the topic? So it's very, very rare, um, that you're going to have kind of a, 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 some sort of study that doesn't have other things that it's citing. Um, so if you don't know what I'm talking about, you usually see like little like ones and twos bracketed (laughs) above like the end of a sentence. Um, if you go towards the end of, uh, like of the paper, usually towards the bottom, um, you're going to see the bibliography, um, which is just all the cited sources, um, and where they get information from. We've all had to cite shit in college. (laughs) Yeah. MLA MLA format. (laughs) Oh, the worst. No, I think Chicago style format was the worst. Which funny enough, I've never had to do. I've had to do. Well, that's, uh, that's more for writing, isn't it? Yeah. Like journalism. Yeah. Well, I had teachers who were like, I never took journalism class. My teachers like journalism majors and they wanted Chicago style format. And I was like, man, I went through all of high school and three years before there's MLA. You want me to switch to Chicago (laughs) now? I don't know how to do that shit. That's why you go to, what was it, Easy Bib? Yeah. And uh, you just type it in. They just do it. <laughs> oh, that was the best. Um, so where are we at? Um, we finished discussion. Often they results. The authors. Uh, oh, okay. So yeah. So um, yeah, a body of evidence on the topic. Perfect. Right. Um, so it. Then, God, I'm getting ahead of myself. So then usually after that, the authors will lay out um, some of the strengths and weaknesses of the study. 
um, or their studies. So examine these super critically. And I think this is a really important part to make note of. Um, so did the authors do a good job of covering both? Did they leave out a critical limitation? Um, you don't need to take their reporting at face value, analyze it. So a good, a good research study will cite and note any limitations within what they were able to do. Um, as well as just generally note limitations of like we used, we only were available to do a questionnaire with questionnaires comes an inherent, like a, an inherent weakness to the study because you can't, there's variables that mm -hmm. you can't control, et cetera, et cetera. Um, so that's always really important to look at, um, look at for, look at within a paper to make sure that that's in there. Um, cause that means that they're doing their due, due diligence to be like, you know, here is, here is what we couldn't do, but if someone were to be able to run, say this exact same thing, here are things that we would recommend to make it a more sound or more, uh, like, uh, like strengthen it in a way. So that way it can be kind of, uh, held up against more scrutiny. Yeah. Um, okay. So then the last part that sometimes you don't get but you definitely should get is a conflict of interests or coi sometimes you'll see it on there um if they exist so there's usually disclosed after the conclusion so a conflict of interest can occur when the people who design conduct or analyze research have a motive behind certain results kind of like what we talked about at the very beginning with like tobacco, sugar, sugar tobacco yeah so the most obvious source um is of conflict of interest is the financial aspect of it so when a study has been sponsored by a company, for instance, or one, uh, or when one of the authors works for a company that would gain from the study backed, backing a certain effect, which is crazy to think that that's a thing that happens, but it does. Um, so sadly, one study suggested the non-disclosures of, of conflicts of interest is somewhat common. Um, additionally, what is considered a conflict of interest by one journal may not be it of another. And some journals can themselves have conflicts of interests, yet they don't have to disclose them. A journal from a country that exports a lot of, of a certain herb, for instance, may have hidden incentives to uh, publish studies that back the benefits of that herb. So it isn't because the study is about an herb in general and not a specific product that you can assume there is no conflict of interest. <laughs> um, so conflicts of interests are definitely one to look out for. Um, like kind of, I mean, we already kind of hit at the very beginning is an important aspect to it. Um, but yeah, usually money is largely what you're going to see from it. Um, and sometimes if they're not noted, you can also then, if you really wanted to dig in and find out like what's happening, you can start to look at the researchers themselves and see like, where do they research from? Where do they work? You can usually find who their funding is from. Cause a lot of this stuff is public information, but it's not readily public info. So you can find it. You just got to dig. There's a trail. Um, so conflict of interest must be evaluated carefully. So don't automatically assume that they don't exist just because they don't disclose it. But also don't assume that they necessarily influence the results if they do exist. So there, I think like for an example on this one, you know, the the COVID study that we're going to read is it's all through Kaiser Permanente. So if you're, you know, not from the Los Angeles area, Kaiser is a, a giant hospital yeah. um, all over Southern California. And so this is where they got a lot of their participants, largely because, you know, they, they did something within the study that a lot of hospitals don't do. Uh, so it kind of gave it a little bit more, a little bit stronger legs to stand on. Are they the ones, is Kaiser, does Kaiser have the commercial that says live well, be well, and thrive? Is that, is that theirs? Or is that... I have no idea. <laughs> all, all I know is that whenever I've talked to anybody about like where I should get insurance, 
They say Kaiser. No, they say they're like, well, Kaiser's a pretty good, but you have to go within Kaiser. Yeah. Um, so like, uh, you can't go anywhere else no, except no. yeah, except Kaiser. Yeah, yeah. And then good luck getting in. I remember when I got when I got into my motorcycle accident. Um, I didn't know where I like. I didn't know where to go. Yeah. Um, and so I just knew that Kaiser was a close hospital, and so th- that's where I went. And they were like, "You're not a Kaiser person. We can't take you." <laughs> and I'm like, "What?" <laughs> am I supposed to do? <laughs> and they're go like to the nearest ER. <laughs> yeah. There's, there's like, there's some other one like down the street. You can go to that one. I'm like, you seriously kick. I'm like, Jesus Christ. You should have just gone to Scientology. They would have taken care of you for a nominal fee. I have no comment and, on that. And your life. <laughs> I would just have to sign my 10,000 year contract. Yeah. <laughs> your soul. Well, I need to find out how many Thetans I have. <laughs> so the last little bit into this before we get into the fun stuff. <laughs> is uh so clickbait um that's the huge that's a huge part um so clickbait headlines usually not from the study itself but other people who are citing the study uh which is like ridiculous um that's what you're going to see in like most news organizations um if you're a facebook person that's pretty much everything that you yeah. read on facebook is a yahoo clickbait title is the worst yahoo is really bad about i it. hate them so uh, definitely don't take titles for, for that. So never assume that the media has read the entire study, which is, I feel like should be very, very common at this or clear to most people at this point. No. So a survey that assessed the quality of the evidence for dietary advice given in the UK national newspaper has found that between 69 and 72% of the health claims were based on deficient or insufficient evidence to meet deadlines. Overworked journalists frequently rely on study press releases which often fail to accurately summarize the study's findings. So there is, there is something where like, um, like articles or journals will put out like a, a media like synopsis essentially. And, uh, people will just kind of run with that. Yeah. Cause that, that's more, it's not, a, it's not a breakdown. It's more of a, an overview of, of what was, what was going on in the study. And then, yeah, like you said, you'll, they'll take that run with it and be like, Oh, they said 95%. Okay, cool. Yeah. We'll yeah. Fucking throw that number out there. Yeah. It's, it's a, fe- it's effectively a, a, the abstract of a study, but like written in a way that the common person can like easily understand cliff notes. It's yeah. Effectively it's cliff notes. Um, so, but there's, there's no substitute for appraising the study yourself. So when in doubt, reread its method sections to better assess its strengths and potential limitations. And just again, remember one study is just one piece of a puzzle of a large puzzle. So reading several studies on a given topic will provide you with more information and more data. Um, even if you don't know how to run a meta-analysis, which a meta-analysis is essentially taking. So say for example, uh, bench press builds muscle. I don't know why that's the first thing that came to my head, but sure, that's where we're at. And so what you would, what you do in a meta analysis is you essentially take as many articles, research articles that are around the concept of bench pressing, building muscle, um, that, um, and you aggregate, you take an aggregate, um, of all of the information that you get from it and kind of make your own study off of it, uh, which is kind of interesting. And there's, a be- so much detail into how to run a good meta analysis on how to, pr- how to pick the appropriate topics and research studies, um, to cite in this information. So that way, again, like, just like when you're looking at like demographics, when you're trying to pick people, pick people for say a study, 
you have to kind of weed out anomalies or ones that aren't going to accurately fit in with like the larger group as a whole. The same thing has to be done whenever you're running like a meta analysis or trying to do that study or do a study of a meta of a meta analysis. Um, so that way you're not getting like bunk information that's going to mess up your, your study itself. So for instance, if you read one study that looked at the effects of creatine on testosterone and it found an increase, then a hundred percent of your data says that creatine increases testosterone. Um, effectively all that's saying is if you, th that's just continuation of like, if you only look at one study, then you only have one set of information to pull and pull from. Um, but if you were to read 10 well-conducted studies that looked at the effect of creatine on testosterone and only one found an increase, then you have a more complete picture of the evidence, which indicates creatine does not increase testosterone, which it doesn't. <laughs> So go, going over and assessing just one paper can be a lot of work, hours if not, uh, but knowing the basics of a study, study's assessment is important, but we also understand that people have lives to lead, so no single person has the time to read all of the new studies coming out, and certain studies can benefit from being read by professionals with different areas of expertise. So um, that's kind of, yeah, and that's kind of it. So breaks down a little bit of the, uh, you know, how papers are, kind of the general concepts that you're going to see. So just remember as a, as a refresher, it's the abstract, the introduction methods, results, discussion, and hopefully conflicts of interest. And, uh, if you have the ability to read more than one, mm -hmm. um, there's also this, it's an interesting part too. like, depending on the topic or the field that you are looking into, there are a, a, a metric shit ton of publishing companies that publish like, uh, research papers and, some are a little bit more well-known than others, and some are more well-known for being and producing shit. <laughs> um, and well, yes. So for example, with like with me, um, a, a place that I, like, I usually will go to when we're looking at information for supplements is examine.com. And this is examine is a good way is a, is a perfect example of like a meta-analysis where it's where again, it's you know when we were talking about creatine, well, there's, you know, 60 different sources that you can pull from, um, for where, how examine concluded their, like concluded the evidence as a whole. So you can read all of those sources if you want to read about those papers. Um, and so examine is literally a meta-analysis website for specifically supplements and like nutritional dietary supplements. Um, you know, the journey, like in popular ones that you're going to hear about, like for us in like the world in the like exercise world is like the journal of strength and conditioning, um, which is an NSCA program, mm -hmm. which we've talked to previously in a previous cross, uh, one of our CrossFit episodes about, um, how the NSCA, um, has a little bit of a history of running bullshit articles, <laughs> um, as well as the, uh, the journal of strength and conditioning followed suit. So, you know, do with that information as you will, but largely, largely that is, you know, you have to look at it in this, in that CrossFit example as, you know, those were those specific researchers had a motive and they sought through to see that motive to completion. Um, so anything, so you, but so that you, you think of it, you kind of have to think of it as like the bad apple type of thing. Yeah. And you can't assume that everybody else within it is shit. Yeah. Um, similar to like CrossFit, right? We got Ricky Garrard who, uh, popped, popped for steroids. <clears throat> um, that's one person. We can't then just assume that every other All person is, is taking steroids. Exactly. So we are, but. I mean, yeah, Eric and I are just, Ugh. we have the testosterone of a square city block in that's, LA. That's right. Powered by a nuclear warhead. <laughs> <laughs> um, 
So hopefully that gave you some info. So that way, when we go into the next part, now we can go into the next part. How do we? How, I should ask. How do you want me to go? Like, go, I have this study in front of me. Should I? Do you want me to just like read through it or kind of like bullet point it? I think bullet point it because I'm sure you know if people if people are interested in this, they'll look it up because we'll we'll provide the link to it. Yeah. Um. I think we should bullet point summarize and then like how we talked about it. Talk like hit the intro. And then hit yeah. how the case is done, kind of bullet point the next parts, and then hit that conclusion, and then you know go from there. How we felt about it, and then discuss. Yeah, perfect. Okay, I like that. Um, all right, so the abstract. We'll just kind of hop right into it. So this is perfect, right? It gives you the objective of the overall study. So it's to compare hospitalization rates, intens- intensive care unit admissions, so ICU and mortality. Uh, for patients with COVID-19 who were consistently inactive, doing some activity, or consistently meeting physical activity guidelines. So there there we go. So we got kind of uh, three pieces that we're looking at. So whether you were um, were admitted to the hospital, whether you went to the ICU, or if you died. Mm -hmm. And then within that, we're looking at people who were um, consistently inactive, some some active, or consistently meeting uh, physical activity guidelines. Mm-hmm. And so to give some context into a little bit of what that is. Um, so for the physical activity guidelines, um, this, and this is from the, from just, I think just the U S U S or sorry for the, it's the U S center of disease control and prevention. So the CDC. Yeah. Um, so the, and this is crazy. Um, but the physical activity guidelines calls for adults to engage in at minimum 150 minutes per week of moderate to vigorous physical activity. So, and these are similar guidelines of that have been, uh, set across from like other health agencies kind of across the world. Um, but 150 minutes, that's the minimum. Yeah. And, uh, I'm going to tell you right now, most people do not do that, which is insane, which is absolutely terrifying. If you break it down, it's two and a half hours. That's two and a half hours. Yeah. Yeah. People cannot do any, not cannot choose not to do any physical rigorous activity for two and a half hours over seven days. That's a, it's just over 20 minutes a week. Yeah. Seven days. Yeah. You could go for a fucking jog for 25 minutes. Uh, A brisk walk is is technically the term. Go adopt a dog. Go walk your dog for 25 minutes a day. Yeah. So to give that, that's to give some context as the as a whole. Most people don't hit that number, which is insane. But it's not our listeners. No, no, mm-hmm. you guys are. You you find you guys exceed by going 151 minutes. <laughs> yeah, of vigorous activity. Overachievers. That's right. We're so proud of you. <laughs> proud dads. If you hit that 152, hit us up. We got something special yeah. <laughs> for you. Okay, we're we're shouting you out. Yeah. All right. Um. So within that, so we'll look at the methods. So within this, they they identified 48,440 weird. Um, I, adult, I read that and I was like, that's such a weird number. <laughs> a lot of fours. Yeah. Um, adult patients with COVID-19 diagnosis. And so this is from the, from the um, January 1 of 2020 to October 21st, 2020. Uh, so, I mean, it's a, a 10-month study, which is pretty awesome. As, as well as there's 48,000 people that were a part of this, which is even better. So when we were talking about, you know, the protein sub, protein study with four people, yeah. that means absolutely nothing. 
Um, but this this but amount th- this is a significant amount, and this is a significant amount of people yeah. um, to be to be looked at. So um, now part of the re- uh, so yeah so whatever um, with at least three exercise vital sign measurements from March nineteenth, um, which is uh, from March eighteenth to March nineteenth, twenty eighteen to March eighteenth, twenty twenty. So uh, Kaiser per- or yeah Kaiser does a has a question um, within their like their their check-in process that asks about exercise um, so what they're this is kind of what they're getting at so um, these were already like questions asked prior to uh, people coming in for this specific study um, and so within that they define what exercise looks like so consistently and active is zero to ten minutes per week some active is 11 to 149 minutes per week and consistently meeting the guidelines or active would be 150 plus per week. Um, and then, yeah. So they, boom. So then if we're going to look at results, uh, let's not get there yet. <laughs> no. <laughs> um, so going a little bit deeper into the methods. So the study is a retrospective observational study in which um, physical activity was documented, documented in, um, there's, t- was the Jesus Christ. There's a lot of acronyms in here. Uh, so there's like threes and two letters. So I'm trying to remember what these are as I read it out loud. Um, so, but this is a re- retrospective observational study, um, in which physical activity was documented, um, within the two years preceding the March, 2020 pandemic lockdown, specifically of Southern, Southern California. So, so yep. Con- uh, set, it was set conducted by Kaiser Permanente, um, to give some, uh, numbers. So it's an integrated healthcare system that serves approximately 4.7 million residents of Southern California has 15 medical centers. Um, so racial, eth- racial, racial slash ethnic makeup, neighborhood education and household income are generally similar t- to the area population. So just to kind of give an idea of like how they looked at it. Um, so the cohort or the study cohort, um, so the inclusion criteria consisted of Kaiser um, Health Plan members aged 18 and older that had a positive COVID-19 test or diagnosis between January 1st and October 21st. Um, participants were continually enrolled in the Kaiser and Kaiser for at least six months prior to the COVID-19 diagnosis, and they required patients to ha- the study required patients to have at least three outpatient visits visits with an exercise vital sign measurement between. Uh, March 19th, 2018, and March 19th, 2020. Hmm. So that way they can kind of increase the likelihood um, that the assessment captured regular physical activity habits. Yeah. So again, this is kind of, this was, you know, other than the fact that it was a uh, a, a, a questionnaire, essentially, um, they did a pretty decent job, in my opinion, at trying to take out some of the potential bullshit um, by by one, what I just read, which was that, People that people came into the doc, their doctor's office at least three times before coming into, uh, before having COVID. So that way they had some sort of like a uh, baseline to yeah. go off of like whether or not, whether or not, or how much, act, how active they were, which I like a lot. Yeah. Uh, unless, unless they, they all lied, unless they all lied or Kaiser knew COVID was coming. <laughs> um, so one of the so the questions during the intake for um, at each of the outpatient vis- outpatient visit was on average how many days per week do you engage in moderate to strenuous exercise like a brisk walk 
and on average, how many minutes do you engage in exercise at this level? Can so, you just to go back on that? A <laughs> brisk walk is vigorous exercise. Well, it could be moderate, moderate exercise. I, I just, I, I, I see what we do, and we have moderate days, which are still hard days. Yes, I just, it, I guess, I guess the terminology is just different, and <laughs> the the perspective of terminology is just different. Yeah. Well, you have to you have to think too, and just remember, you know, the the amount of people that, and this is this is the tough part, right? Like, if you really want to dive into this, how do you how do you define exercise? Yeah. So, I view exercise as a planned, like like a a planned or structured activity that you're you're setting yourself out for. So, like I like. I not like I'm going to just take my dog out for a walk because that's something you have to do. But it's mm-hmm. like I am planning to take my dog out for a 25 minute walk, um, like at blank time. Yeah. Right. Uh, or I'm going to go to the gym at blank time to do blank. You know, while while I'm there. Yeah. Right. But it's like it's a pre-planned kind of a premeditated activity, and that that's how I define exercise. Um, now I don't know how they necessarily defined this, defined it within this. Um, it doesn't say, but it's a, it is a striking and concerning aspect to the state of our health when that is the bare minimum to try and get people to move. Yeah, and and and, and you know I'm not knocking people's exercise. Like you know if if a brisk walk is your exercise, by all means, yeah, fucking knock it out. You know we're always advocates for any type of movement. Um, it's just like you said, the standard, the minimum is that and it's just like, God, you know, like there's, know. there's gotta be more to it, but again, you know, it doesn't sit. That's kind of it. Right. I mean, yeah. I, don't, I don't remember the number, but that's very similar to what, um, the world health organization recommends who? as a whole. Who, 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 the who, who? the who, Eric, they were a good band. <laughs> You're talking about the monkeys. Yeah. Perfect. Yeah. Um, so, but within, <laughs> but within that, so within those questions, uh, people had choices for either zero to seven days and for the minutes they recorded from zero, 10, 20, 30, all the way up to 150 or greater. So this is where the, the, the responses were recorded. Um, uh, bum. so I don't really, there is a data analysis thing. So effectively all this is all this part is really talking about is just it takes note of variables within so looking at people with previous previous um, underlying conditions so they kind of noted which ones they considered to be more more relevant um, that they were including within the history so this was like cancer uh, kidney disease um, copd uh, uh, cvd which is cardiovascular disease uh where are we at Oh my God, there's too much. Um, <laughs> organ transplants, ob- obesity, um, diabetes, pregnancy, smoking. Um, that was actually pretty much it. So they also inc- included um, history of hypertension and an emergency department visit or hospitalization the six months prior to their COVID-19 um, diagnosis as co-verities. Um, so, so let's get to the- Are the co-verities the one that they kick- kicked out just to... No, no, no. So co co verities uh, in this sense are just other vi- uh, other varieties of like the, um, like medical conditions that got they it, also were like aware of. Um. Uh, so all right, 
so results is kind of the fun one. Um, <laughs> sorry, I'm just kind of cycling through this a little bit. Okay. So results. So in, and this is kind of, now this is, we'll start to kind of talk about the, what you're, what you were asking. Um, so they identified 103,000 patients with a diagnosis of COVID-19 or a positive result with a PCR test, um, during the study period of, of those 103,000, 84,000 were 18 years or older, um, and continuously enrolled in Kaiser's healthcare plan during the six months prior to their COVID-19 diagnosis. So among those 84,000, 48,000 patients had three or more of the, um, health, health measurements within the two years prior to the pandemic. Um, and the majority of the patients, which is 61% within that cohort had five or more. So effective, effectively, so this is, this is now where they started to whittle things down based on kind of certain, certain criteria they're looking at. So for example, like, so 103,000, they moved it down to 84,000 that they needed to be 18 years or older of that 84,000, uh, 48,000 had three or more of those measurements, those health measurements that they were looking at. So this is where they started to break things down. And this is where they're kind of taking out some of those outliers mm-hmm. to make it a little bit more specific. And then they added a nice little note to it, which is kind of cool, um, is that, so of that 48,000, uh, 61% of them, I don't have the quick math on that. I can't do quick math like that. Um, 48,000, 68%, 61, 61. Um, but 61% of those did five or more leaving, uh, 39.8%, um, that had, yeah. So 29, 20, essentially 30,000 people had five or more. Um, and about 18,000 had, you know, the minimum of three. So this is pretty nice, right? So there, there's a, there's a good baseline measurement of activity to be set. So demographics wise, so the mean age was about 47 years old, uh, the median being 47. So kind of right in the <laughs> middle of it. Um, so 60, 61% were females, um, which then leaves you with 39% being males. Uh, 6.4 were 6.4 were consistently meeting the guidelines. 14 were consistently inactive, and the remaining were inactive. Wait. Okay, so yeah. six point four were the meeting the guidelines. Yep. Was it thirteen? So six point four percent. Yeah. Were meeting guidelines. Okay. Fourteen percent were consistently inactive. So the the gray area. Uh no, so they were those were the ones that weren't doing anything. Oh, the like the zero to twenty. The zero, people. zero to like ten minutes. Okay. Yep, and then the rest of them. So, which is nice. Okay, right? so I, that scared me. For yeah, a second, you're like because uh, I was like, wait a minute. The, 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 uh, yeah, <laughs> I thought I thought the third number was the worst number. No, no, no. So the the third number, which would be about eighty, just just on, about seventy nine percent were yeah. doing something, but that's less than hundred and forty nine minutes worth of activity. A right. Week. Yeah. God, six percent. Yep. Six percent of forty eight thousand. That's just under 3,000 people. Yeah. <laughs> wow. This is just within Kaiser. Yeah. Um, yeah. So anyway, um, so then they'll within the demographics, they look at, um, they didn't break down the exactly what it was, but regardless, so white patients were more likely to be meeting the physical activity guidelines, which was 9.4% mm-hmm. of what, of honkies, uh, met the guideline. Um, Asian patients were 7.3%, uh, 
um, Hispanic were 5.5 and African American were 4.6. So then they look at the BMI. So the mean mean BMI was 31.2, mm-hmm. which is high. Mm-hmm. Um, you're starting to you're inkling towards that obese range. Yeah. Um, 51% of the study had no comorbidities, while seven, 17 so comorbidities are essentially um, any of those like uh, heart disease, diabetes, yeah. any of those things that I named earlier. <clears throat> so 50, half the study didn't have it, which was awesome. Um, 17 had one and 31% had two or more, okay. which again is not surprising given yeah. that, you know, if we look at uh, kind of the, the general leading causes of death, or actually I should say the leading causes of preventable death within the United States is like his heart disease, cancer, um, respiratory disease, stroke, Alzheimer's, diabetes, et cetera. Um, relatively preventable, that is. Or sorry, not preventable. Those were just leading causes of death. My bad. <laughs> that was a different thing that I, I meant to read. Um, okay, so going back to it. So among all of the patients with COVID-19, 18 were hos- 18.6% were hospitalized, 2.4 were admitted to the ICU, and 1.6 died. Okay. So numbers were actually pretty pretty decent, which, yeah. which does track largely with kind of the stats that we're seeing from COVID as a whole. Um you know, it's, it is kind of scary. Like I was looking at it this morning, um, just it's for some reference. And I mean, within the United States, almost half a million people have died, Yeah, which is unbelievable. Yeah. Um, and not in a good, I don't say that in a good way. No. Um, but that number itself is gigantic. But when you also then look at, you also have to look at the, the size of the United States and we have, I forget how many people are in here, but hundreds, a couple hundred million yeah. people. We would look at percentage wise. One ninety two hundred. Uh, pull yeah. that number for you. Yeah, um, but yeah, no, no, I, I, and I agree. Yeah, it is. It, it's relatively the number is small. Yeah, and that's not. I, it's always tough when we're kind of talking about this because it's such a a highly three twenty eight million. So do three hundred twenty eight times, uh, uh, or do three hundred twenty eight divided by point. No, not 0. 0.5. Times 0. 0.5, right? For percentage, right? Uh, No. Hold on. What were we doing? Mess that up. Oh, shit. Do uh, five, 500,000 mm-hmm. divided by, you know, the whatever, 320. 328 million? Yeah. Which I guess it could be 328,000 divided by 500. 0.001%. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So uh, per 0.001, which would be 0.1%. Point one percent, yeah. Yeah. Okay. So fairly. So this is fairly close to what we would be looking at. So, um, you know, one point six, one point one, but generally numbers are pretty pretty similar. Um, but to get to put some context into it, you know, one point six of you know one point six percent of the forty eight thousand forty eight thousand is still forty eight. Yeah, yeah, about about 40 it's about 48 50 about 40 to 20 20 50 give or take 77 people somewhere around there yeah i mean it's still it's still not great that that's the case yeah. but to put some significant some at least put some note into what that what these numbers mean um i'm gonna kind of scroll down a little bit past some of these uh some of these numbers yeah um but to give some context into kind of the difference 
So being consistently inactive resulted in a significantly higher odds for the three outcomes compared with being either consistently meeting the physical activity guidelines or doing some activity. Oh, wait, we were off. It's not 77, it's 768. 768, oops. But I carried one, one zero one over zero too, too many. Um, but being consistently inactive, so this is z- zero to 10 minutes of activity through the week, um, increased the odds of hospitalization by two but two times jesus um compared to consistently meeting the guidelines so when they're looking at these numbers in case you're curious they're measuring it against um, people who met the 150 minimum or more Mm -hmm. so that's kind of what they're basing this off of um, when we're looking at these numbers so you have a two time two times more likely to be hospitalized with covid from actually or if you didn't do any exercise those who are doing some activity it was about 1.8 times greater. So a decrease a little bit. And so this is kind of one of those, the, one of those things when we talk about statistical significance is, you know, we are looking at a 0.4 times change from so, like no activity to some activity. Yeah. But even though it is that 0.4 change, like kind of what you were just talking about with these overall numbers, if you think about the broad swath of, uh, what was it? 200 million people, 320, 328 million people. Yeah. I mean that that's that's tens of thousands of people that could potentially be saved by having some activity in their lives. Yeah, potentially. Potentially. Yeah. Um. So, um. Yep. So, in addition, patients who were consistently inactive had greater odds of being um, hospitalized than patients who were doing some activity, other than age, pregnancy, and uh, and a history of organ transplant being consistently inactive. Uh, conferred the highest odds for hospitalization with COVID-19, which we already know, mm-hmm. or right, we kind of already stated. So there's like a little bit of numbers. Um, patients who were consistently inactive had uh, 1.7 times greater odds of going to the ICU. Jesus. Uh, patients who were doing some activity had a 1.5 chance of going to the ICU. Um, and then patients who were consistently inactive also appear to have a greater odds of being admitted to the ICU than patients who were doing some activity. Yeah, all right though this was not statistically significant. Mm-hmm. Perfect, right? Kind of going again, you know, we're looking at a, a point, just shy of 0.2 change. Yeah. So not a huge significance. Um, so then the odds of COVID-19 were, the odds of death were 2.5 times greater um, for patients who were consistently inactive compared to patients who were, who were meeting the guidelines. Um, and then patients who were doing some activity had a 1.8 times chance of, dying from uh covid versus people who were active i would say that's a little more significant being 0.7 like yeah from from zero activity to some activity point a point seven, you know multipliers just yeah like I you're mean, saying like you're, like you're saying that's thousands of people the tens of thousands tens of, of thousands of people um so yeah the odds odds for death for consistently inactive patients was robust and in most instances was higher than the odds of other COVID-19 risk factors. Yeah. So, uh, that's, that's an important thing to note, um, is the idea that some of these comor- comorbidities of, uh, yeah, comorbidities, mm-hmm. um, what we're looking at like heart disease and blah, blah, blah. Um, if you were active, even if you were active or media, you know, some activity, again, that's like 10 to 149 minutes a week. Um, and you had something else, like some sort of other health condition, the odds were in your favor 
if you were doing something yeah. active mm-hmm. um, to help your health in some capacity. Brisk walks, for example. Yeah. Um, so just kind of give it a note that like that alone, like, and, and again, this is just within this one study. And as far as I'm aware, there's not a whole lot that can kind of back this up right now. So again, take it with a grain of salt right. to a certain degree. Um, but to, you know, any activity is literally better than none, especially if you have something else going on, like health wise, uh, this is, can significantly better your odds. Yeah. Um, and that's kind of honestly a lot of really where it kind of goes. Um, it goes, it goes into a little bit more about like the, the guidelines that they were talking about. Um, so for example, like, so U S physical activity guidelines established a goal of 150 minutes per week, uh, which we kind of already talked about mm-hmm. to maximize health benefits. Uh, this amount could be accru- uh, accrued in small bits, making achievement of the guidelines uh, within within reach for nearly all people, which is kind of the point of it. Um, other studies have shown that on average, Americans have at least 46 hours each day of leisure time, uh, the majority of which is devoted to sedentary activity, particularly electronic media. So sitting on your phones, playing playing on your old your your computers, PS5s, doing all your kids on their computers, doing all their downloading. <laughs> Throwback, you know what that's from? Uh Oh, it's the G.I. Joe PSAs. Oh, Jesus. Quit all your downloading. <laughs> oh, my God. So many things to show you. Oh. Um, but the findings here provide additional rationale and motivation for individuals to be more physically active, as well as for communities design environments that were more conducive to routine physical activity, especially amid the COVID-19 pandemic. And that's, you know, to, to retouch on the, the sitting and leisure time, right? That's not to say, like, you can't have leisure time after or before you've done your physical activity but you got to get your physical activity in yes you know like you can't just sit around and play video games all day and like oh yeah that was my physical activity. And like no no get your ass up out of that seat off the chair off the couch go for your brisk walk then come <laughs> back and play you know yeah yeah it's uh you know it's it's hard yeah. it's hard um you know we 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 live in a world that is like everything is trying to grasp our attention Mm -hmm. and does a really, really good job at it. Um, I mean, there's, I mean, there's literally science, like data scientists and like, uh, not environmental. I mean, there are environmental scientists. Those are real (laughs) things. Um, but like, um, like psychologists and whatnot that look at, um, like apps, look at TV programs and how can you like, get attention from people how do you like trap people into an ecosystem so that way they stay for longer i mean as of recent we we've learned we discovered that with facebook and instagram like the algorithm has been revealed like we know it exists like that's why we know your your phone is listening to you your your computer is listening to it's like they they see your shit what you search for on your internet database and they fucking they feed it to you they feed it to you yeah well and that's i mean if if something is free you are the product yeah and that's that's I think that's becoming more and more well known whether or not people are willing to take anything off of that. But yeah, anything that you search online, you sign up for something like that data is logged somewhere, mm-hmm. and there is a profile of you that knows you better than you know you. Yep. Hopefully that wasn't too confusing. <laughs> um, but I like it's crazy. There there's some stuff where I was reading about that. Uh, like Facebook, for example, knows when you're going to go to the bathroom. No way. Um, and has like can. Oh, I actually I believe that because you take your phone with you when you take a shit. Yeah, you just sit there and you're on your Facebook or your Instagram. Um, there is a there is a really interesting thing that on 
I think it was Google or maybe it was Facebook, but it was targeted ads essentially yeah. was what it was. And um, Target was starting to send out um, baby clothes and maternity clothes for to this house. And so the the um, this family that lived there, the dad, daughter for this instance, and the dad was like, the hell? Yeah. Like younger girl or younger, younger daughter, so didn't assume anything. And he was like, what the hell? Like, why are we getting maternity stuff? Yeah. Well, lo and behold, Target knew that this girl was pregnant before oh, she knew she was pregnant. Shit. Because of stuff that she was searching for. Pre- pregnancy tests. Well, not not yes. even not even pregnancy tests, oh, but wow. starting to talk about like symptoms that she was having that essentially <laughs> alluded to the idea of, hey, uh, you're probably pregnant. Wow. Um, so they were sending her coupons and like stuff to be like, hey, shop at Target for your baby. That's insane. That you don't know you have yet. Yeah, that's insane. So that's the type of that's the type of information that people ha- like that not people, but like companies can get on you. Want to hear some crazy shit? Let's hear it. So when I was living with my mom uh, back in like two thousand and nineteen, probably, um, <laughs> I got I received um, baby formula from Wick, like formulas powders like bottles and shit and i was like i wasn't seeing anybody at the time like i was just like where the fuck did this even come from and so i had tried to establish contact with wick and like be like hey like i think you've sent this to the wrong person and like no congratulations like you're pregnant and i was like i'm a dude (laughs) so that's physically impossible for me to do that and i'm also not seeing anyone at the time but they're like oh that's weird you know like somebody you know logged you in and said that you you know we were having this and you needed help and i was like okay well fuck i mean here's your stuff like i'll send it back but but it it was so weird right like somehow my information was out there that i was having a kid (laughs) i was like wait i don't i don't i don't i don't have a girlfriend to have a kid so i don't know how that happened not that you're aware of apparently (laughs) out there slutting it up god (laughs) (laughs) um so back to covid yeah um so this is a this is a good part. So it does go into strengths and uh, limitations, which I do enjoy. So the study's main strength is lar- the large number of participants with COVID nineteen yeah. with assessments um, assessment of pre diagnosis pre diagnosis physical activity levels. Oh my god, that's a mouthful. Um, an additional strength is the demographic diversity of the study sample, including almost sixty five percent of the patient of the patients of Hispanic descent. Another important strength is the ability to adjust for a wider range of demographic and health variables that are included in this in the system. Um, a final strength is the COVID-19 outcome measures were objective and indic- indicative of COVID-19 severity, So, which is awesome, too. The main limitations of the study um, were that the measurements of the physical activity was self-reported, mm-hmm. and there's no measure of the intensity of the exercise beyond the threshold of, quote, moderate to strenuous exercise, right. like a brisk walk. Yeah. Um, so though the assessment of physical activity has been previously validated and the use of the three, three or more measurements allowed for improved estimations of physical activity and the identification of patients with consistently high or low physical activity patterns. So in that sense, all it's, all it's just saying is that, um, there, though the limitation is that it was a self-reported test or study, um, there were previous numbers to back up what they were trying to get after. Um, so there was something to kind of, again, a leg to stand on in saying, you know, yes, these, these people self-reported their stuff, but we have like five, at least three to five or more self-reported, um, instances of like physical activity. Mm-hmm. 
which is nice. Yeah. Um, other limitations include the potential for sparse data in some of the variables. So for example, um, the, uh, I don't know what this one stands for, my bad. Um, but the, the OR for physical activity and death outcomes in the highest age category resulted in, uh, oh my God, there's so many acronyms in a row. Essentially, um, the 80 plus 80 plus age category, um, kind of skewed results a little bit. Mm -hmm. And so it suggested that there may be a sparse data problem and perhaps for other confounding variables. However, um, confounder um, impression does not bias the target estimate estimates. That is the association of physical activity on severe COVID-19 outcomes. So in addition, some of the confounders um, are time varying and may be continuously reflect the information recorded during patient interviews. So again, just kind of, it, it comes back to, uh, well, this one is talking about just more so like age, um, the age of the person, as well as like their ability to give information on how much physical activity they had. Right. So well, summaries we'll kind of finish it on off. I guess real quick, that's another, that's another limiting factor, right? For the, for the age group as they get older, you know, 70 plus 80 plus, right? Like they're obviously limited to daily exercise, especially if they're Potentially living in their home it, by themselves. It, you know, I, I know for my grandmother, she's living in, in assisted care and they make sure she walks at least twice a day for 10 minutes. So I guess, you know, depending on their abilities, that that's also a limiting factor on. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, for sure. Yeah. There, I mean, there's definitely and this is where it gets hard, right, is there's a lot of a lot of ways to kind of look at how to take a study mm-hmm. and how like there's sometimes where too much, like too much of a zoomed in view can negatively affect it. Yeah. Um, where then you get no results whatsoever or everything is just bullshit. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, let's see. So kind of going into some of the conclusions. So, um, when compared with those who reported being consistently inactive and those who were consistently meeting the, uh, Physical activity guidelines had lower odds of being hospitalized, requiring ICU admission, or dying from COVID-19. Even activity levels that did not meet the guidelines were significantly associated with reduced odds of hospitalization and death. It is noted that being consistently inactive was a stronger risk factor for severe COVID-19 outcomes than any of the underlying medical conditions and risk factors identified by CDC, except for age and a history of organ transplant. Hmm. In fact... Physical inactivity was the strongest risk factor risk risk factor across all outcomes compared with the commonly cited quote modifiable risk factors including smoking, obesity, diabetes, hypertension, and cardiovascular disease, cardiovascular disease and cancer. Mm. Uh, this evidence that physical inactivity is a strong modif- modifiable risk factor for severe COVID nineteen contrasts with the limited efforts by U.S. public health authorities to educate the population about the benefits of acti- physical activity related to adverse COVID nineteen outcomes or to systematically promote regular physical activity during the pandemic. We recommend that the public health authorities inform all populations that short of vaccination and following public health safety guidelines like social distancing and mask use, engaging in regular physical activity may be one of the single most important actions individuals can take to prevent severe COVID-19 and its complications, including death. Mm -hmm. The message is especially important given the increased barriers to achieve regular physical activity during lockdowns and other pandemic restrictions. The results of the present study suggest a clear and actionable guideline for reducing the risk of severe COVID-19 outcomes. 
So that's kind of their their conclusion and kind of what they kind of glean from the or gleam from the information. Yeah. So one of the things that I talked about with my client today when we were kind of talking about what we were talking what we were talking about today, God, talking a lot. <laughs> um is and we referenced this before again, callbacks baby, is in the CrossFit level 1 book, they talk about this continuum of sickness, wellness mm-hmm. and fitness. Yeah. And I it's a very, very, like, very, like, watered-down concept to, like, look at it. Uh, um, but I think it's a very valuable. And so it's it's so simplistic, it's it's kind of ridiculous how much it makes sense um, and how, I, in my opinion, accurate this concept is. And so if you don't remember um, or if you've never heard this before, it's really – it's think of, like, a semicircle. And so on the, say on the left, left-hand side is sickness. And as you continue, as you like exercise, as you make lifestyle adjustments, um, nutrition, you know, wh- whatever you're sedent- limiting sedentary activities within reason, um, you start to move up this continuum, you go up this, this ladder, for example, um, into what would be considered wellness. And then when you start to move past, move past wellness, where we're now we're looking at more physical activity, we're looking at, um, like physiological physiological changes so low like lower body fat like looking at muscle mass um looking at cardiovascular health you start to move into the fitness side which crossfit has its own definition of fitness but that's neither here nor there and so the idea is is that the further that you go into the side of wellness and fitness if you do have a setback in the sense of you get sick you have an injury whatever the case may be you're, yes, you're going to have to, you're going to kind of work your way backwards a little bit, but the further along you are that backwards, isn't that bad. Mm-hmm. So if you're really in, if you're in really great shape, you are, you know, all of the things that are associated with, you know, what good shape would be in, um, use your imagination in this instance, you're probably right is, um, you know, and this study is kind of backing this concept is that if you are active and you do get sick, you, your steps backwards are, aren't going to be nearly as bad as somebody who is already living in sickness. Yeah. And I think that's a really, really important piece to make note of is that 120 minutes a day is the absolute bare minimum and to potentially subvert the severe negative effects that can come from are this global pandemic well not even this global pandemic but any sickness in reality like the flu i mean as as non-existent as it was last year it's the biggest virus killer that we face annually right (laughs) every year every year we face the flu and those with stronger immune systems those who are meeting the minimum criteria you see them you know not bounce back but they're not down and out you know like the flu the flu hits us all in different ways um I luckily, knock on wood, uh, you know, within the last three years, four years, actually, I think at this point, I've had the flu once where it put me on my ass and I was down for about 48 hours. And I, I, I really needed, you know, cat's help because um, I was hurting. But prior to that, like the flu would hit me. It'd be a 24 hour bug. I'd be over it. Same with any cold. Same with any other like little sickness here and there. I, you know, I, again, I knock on wood. I, I thank, you know, myself for pushing myself and and training but like that you know moving your body building your your immunity uh your um what's it called your 
immune system. Immune system. Thank you. <laughs> yeah. I was uh, like, I don't know what you want. That, that was the one. <laughs> Your immune system, you know, the, it, it's, it's important, you know, not just for pandemics like this, but just in life. Life. Yeah. I mean, and, and this is the, this is part of like, uh, such a, such a larger discussion, but what, like exactly what you're saying, like it, it helps out in everything. It helps out in you roll your ankle, right? You mm. trip and fall. Like the strong people are harder to kill. Yeah. And that's kind of like a, a big thing to be. And that's, that doesn't mean you have to be like a power lifter. Yeah. But, you know, stressing your body in this, in a good way, have reaps rewards so like on a magnitude that you can't completely comprehend. Um, and again, you know, you, you you look at Eric and I and you hear about some of the workouts and the crazy, crazy shit that we do training wise. That is, that's an outlier. Like we are not the norm. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's, that's not to say that we're better, yeah. uh, but we're not average in, in that regard. And so, you know, the average is, you know, doing, going to like a, could be going to like a group class at your LA fitness. It could be going for a jog. It could be going for a, a walk. Um, it could be going, playing catch with your kids, like play or like running around with your kids. Like, these are all acti- like that's activity. It's yeah. phys- physical activity. <laughs> and the bare minimum is 20 minutes a day. Yeah. And if this, hopefully, if you're listening to this and like something clicked in your mind, uh, like I hope that it made a positive change in the idea of like any level of activity is better than no activity. Yeah. In the case of this paper, any activity is significantly better than no activity in the hopes that in the sense that your response to sickness, not just COVID, but most sicknesses are going to, it's going to serve you so much better. Yeah. And like, and potentially live to see another day. Absolutely. Um, you know, you, you, you said what I was on my head right now. I was just like, you know, like if, if what we've read to you, if what we've said to you, you know, over the course of this episode, like if it even, you know, takes something in your head or if it scares you, like, good like take a look at what you're doing for your activity if you're not meeting the minimum or if you feel you you should do more on a weekly basis that should push you that should push you to do a little bit more even a little bit more at a time you don't we're not saying go all out your first week because obviously we've a callback you can't you can't go out your first week like welcome back to you know open life welcome back to to some sort of normalcy like you can't go gung-ho right away it's got to be baby steps. We yeah. we've called this back several times. It's got to be baby steps, but at least it's baby steps in the right direction towards fitness versus towards sickness. Yeah, hundred percent. Again, little, I feel like I'm just going to be repeating myself here and there, <laughs> but but it is. It's just it's little goes a very very long way, and and it's hard, right? Like it's I'm, I know for us to sit here and just spew this stuff is very easy for us to say, and you know we don't we don't know what people's lives are like. We don't know the stresses that go on. And, um, you know, that maybe, maybe, maybe there are people out there that, that don't have the ability to, to find 20 minutes worth of time. And if that's the case, like, you know, I, I'm sorry. Yeah. <laughs> like, I don't mean to laugh, but like, but maybe w- check your priorities. Your health should be your priority. You only a, a priority. Definitely a priority. Yeah. Um, but I think about stuff like this where, you know, there's some, some, some of the, there's a way there's, I, 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 I have to believe that there is some way no matter what. And I think about when one of my clients, 
who, um, I mean, this is not a sob story by any means, but so one of my clients, she was having, like she came in because she was having some, some pains when she was trying to exercise and she, uh, it was, she was starting up college and it was like final season and her finals times and all that stuff. And she was like, I'm just never, I'm not going to have any time to be able to do this stuff. Yeah. And I was like, bullshit. I was like, absolute bullshit. Yeah. I'm like, let's figure this out right now. And so I figured out a bunch of stuff where she can stand at her desk and still read her books and do her exercises. <laughs> and, and I was like, never, never tell me that there's a, there, there's, there's not enough time. no way, or there's not enough time because that's like, that's the excuse for every single person. Yeah. I don't have time to do that. Yeah. Well, maybe, but maybe not. Yeah. And, uh, you know, there is a, if there is, I believe that there is a way to find 20 minutes of total activity every day to be able to do something. Yeah. Something. I, I, I had a similar conversation with uh, not even my athlete, but uh, one of my friend hobbies, athletes, uh, Oscar, we were talking about, you know, lifting and, and the, the struggles he had working out alone. You know, he, he kind of, he told me that he can't do it. Um, it's tougher for him. He finds himself on his phone. He finds himself, looking for a distraction versus putting in the work to work out. And I told him, I was like, look, man, like I love working out by myself. I, it took a while to get there, but you, what you have to develop is when you're by yourself, it's only you and you, that means you have to develop you, whether it be physically, mentally, emotionally, you have to work on you and you are, you have to look at it and as positive. You are granted that time by yourself to work on yourself with again, physically, mentally, emotionally, whatever. Um, and I also told him, I was like, you got to turn your fucking phone off. Yeah. You cannot like, like me, man, like I, I get work emails, I get work texts all the fucking time. But when I'm in the gym, that shit, no, I don't answer it. I don't respond to it. Like, leave me the fuck alone. And I told <laughs> him, I was like, I was like, you got to check out to yeah. check in. Like, you got to check out of work. You got to check out of all the daily distractions to check yourself in for you time. You have to put aside you time. Yeah. And you know, we were talking about it and like he, he, he knew and he understood, but before he left, he was like, Hey man, thanks for, thanks for checking me back in. Like, I appreciate it. Like that's, that's the talk. That's the motivation I kind of needed to, to get me going and some more. And I was like, you know, anytime, man, anytime you want to just sit and shoot the shit, like I'd be <laughs> happy to do it. Yeah. But you, you have to, again, like you said, bullshit. There's no such thing as you don't have time. You make your time. Yeah. Your time is more valuable to you than to anyone, you know, yeah. And you could be creative. Yeah. That's kind of the fun part. Like, um, you know, I, Marissa gets mad at me sometimes because we'll walk, like we'll walk in. Um, and, uh, there's either when you walk in, there's two options. There's the elevator or there's the stairs. And every single time I'll, well, not every single time, but most times I'll usually take the, I take the stairs and I can hear her go, Ugh. And, <laughs> and I go, fitness is a choice. <laughs> It's like I audibly will tell her fitness is a choice. Yeah. And we'll we'll walk up three flights of stairs. <laughs> um but no to to add add on to kind of what you were saying, you brought up like motivation. Yeah. And same same client from today, she comes in and she goes, "What do you got for me for uh for when my motivation is low?" And I was like, "I love the fact that you just said that." That's a good question. I was like, "This is a perfect question." Yeah. Um and she was like, "How do you keep your motivation high?" And I was like, "That's a trick question." You can't. Yeah. I was like, motivation wanes. I'm like, it comes and goes. Some days you want it more than you want the others. Mm -hmm. And and I was like, if you remember, you know, I'm not going to go into detail on this part, but 
I was like, if you remember back to when we were talking about goal setting and you told me, here are the things that you wanted to achieve. And I'm like, and I dug in as to like why you wanted to achieve them. Um, I was like, the goal there is to try and find an emotional reason, right? It's the emotional button. I'm like, that's important for my job to try and get you to stay motivated or to, to have a, a goal essentially, because if you have something that's really meaningful to you and really powerful for you that you want to achieve on the days that you wake up and you're like, I feel like trash. I don't want to do anything. Um, you can, you can think back to that emotional trigger that says, okay, I might not be able to do everything that I want to do today, but I'm going to do something. Yeah. Because again, if, if, if this, if this study says anything, something is better than nothing. Right. Absolutely. And I was like, and that's what you need to go back to on the days that you feel crappy. Yeah. Like you don't want to work out. You don't want to do this or that or whatever the case may be. Um, remember, remember your goal. Yeah. Right. And if you need to listen to our goals episode, Yeah. that's like literally yeah. everything we talked about. <laughs> and then like going back really quick, cause the numbers were playing in my head. Like how we said, you know, the, the zero to 10 minutes was a 2.5, like morbidity rate, right. Or two percent morbidity rate and then the 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 10 to 149 was a, a 1.8 we were poking at like the number 0.7 percent i did the numbers of the 48 right the 2.5 percent was 1200 people 12 1200 people and then the 1. 1.7 or 1. 1.8 was 864 that's a difference of 336 lives yeah and that's only that's only from this study that's from this study that's not the 100 300 million people yeah. in the united states yeah like, I mean, it doesn't seem like a huge number, but if you, you walk into a gym, look at 336 people. Yeah. That will put it in perspective for you that if these people chose not to do something, if they chose to be in the zero to 10 category and God forbid COVID took over, they'd be dead. Yeah. That's 336 people you would never see again. Potentially. 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 Right? <laughs> like, but like, it, you know, it's just crazy what more, a little more will do for you. Yeah. That's, it is, it is. Um, but I don't have much more to add on to this without no, it turning like far more gloomy. Of course. Yeah. <laughs> and, 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 and I think, you know, ending it on the lighter side of like, look, we want you guys to f- to be motivated. And if you're having problems with it, please like Ryan and I, we love talking motivation. We yeah, motivate each other in the gym when we can, like we'll both have tough days. We'll, I mean, we'll both be doing the same fucking workout <laughs> and like, I'll hate it, but he'll yell at me from across the room or vice versa. Yeah. He's doing the open or, or qualifiers and I'm pushing his ass just because like, we know we're motivated. We know why we want it, but having that little extra always is that, that nice kick in the ass. You're like, all right, I've got somebody in my corner yeah. who wants me to succeed as much as I want to succeed. Yeah. That's actually a really good point. Get a buddy. Yeah. Like find somebody to, to, to go into the trenches with Mm -hmm. find a community, like, you know, find a community that is like-minded in the sense that wants to for, for betterment. I mean, not to, not to drag on about it, but that's why I love CrossFit, man. Like that's the big thing that drew me that not, not drew me to it, but kept me in it. You're right. Was the fact that I was in a room full of people with like-minded intentions of the with the goal of not being sick and trying to be fit. Yeah. And all of the lifestyle things that happened with it. I mean, like I said, I told somebody yesterday uh, on Wednesday, like CrossFit effectively helped me quit smoking. Like I, I can't thank it more mm-hmm. than more than every other day when I wake up and I can have, I can breathe. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, you know, and then my, you know, my callback from the beginning was like, 
CrossFit saved me from morbid obesity. Like, yeah. <laughs> so yeah, it is a, it's a life-changing event Absolutely. for sure. Absolutely. Um, but Absolutely. yeah, if you need to find a friend, find somebody that will do it with you. Mm-hmm. Um, because having some, having like an accountability, account buddy, account buddy, like an account buddy, <laughs> Um, is really powerful, um, to be able to kind of push you and have somebody like kind of exactly what Eric was saying, like on the days where I feel like trash and I don't want to train, uh, you know, I can, I can lean against him a little bit to be like, all right, like he's here, I'm here. Like, I'm not going to, I'm not, I'm not going to be able to do my all, but I'll, I'll do something. Yeah. And again, better than nothing. Yeah. And the same thing is vice versa. Like I'll tell Ryan, like, I feel like shit. He'll be like, come on, let's just move. Like, you don't even have to do the right, the, the RX weight or, or any prescribed weight. Just come in and move, like come in and move a bar, move a kettlebell and then buy like the second workout. Cause we do eight. <laughs> Not I'm, always. I'm probably, I'm probably doing what's written down. Cause it's just like, fuck. All right. I'm into it. Like, let's go. <laughs> it, you kind of like get yourself into it yeah. a little bit. You, you, it's, not only a physical warm up, but it's a mental warm up. You know, like it, you, you can't some on those, on those lazy or, or tired days, you, you got to warm up to the next thing. Yeah. Well, there's, there's also something like, uh, there's something to it where like, as you're like, you, like we talked about before, like you're there. Yeah. So you're like, you know what? I'm eventually you, yeah. you'll kind of like the, the flip will switch and you're like, well, I'm here. Might as well just go for it. Yeah. <laughs> like why waste my time? Yeah. No, well, I drove this way. I'm here. Yeah. I've got my protein shake ready for the end of this. <laughs> I want to drink that. Yeah. <laughs> Side note. I got this like I don't know if I told you I got this like mint chocolate chip that I don't protein think you told shake. Me that one yet. Oh, it is so good. I need, I'm gonna need a scoop. Of that. I love it. Oh, 100. I'll 100 give you some. It's so tasty. It's like oh, it's amazing. Um, all right. Well, anything you want to? Anything else you want to add to the end of this? Um, nothing related to this. Um, I do have something for a future episode about venting. I I picked up something on Uh-oh. venting. It, it, it's a callback to another it's thing. Been a, it's been a minute since we've it's had been, the It's series. been a minute, yeah. But it's something that, you know, I, I ran into this week and I was, it it irked me. Write it down. I, I will write it down, yes. yeah. But it irked the shit out of me. All right. Yeah. Well, get excited. <laughs> More bitching. Yeah. <laughs> um, all right. Then, uh, Eric, where can, uh, where can people find us? You guys can find us at our Instagram at another period rep period podcast. And you can email us at another rep podcast at gmail.com. And you can listen to us wherever you listen to podcasts. Hit that link tree in that Instagram bio. Yeah. Baby. Baby. Um, all right. Bye. Bye.